We'll be uh, turning in our scripture this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there with me as we continue our uh, study of this uh, letter together, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We'll begin reading at verse 4, and we'll read down through verse 12. We've been looking at this passage already for, uh, for some weeks, and this morning we'll be focusing on those last two verses, verses 11 and 12, uh, but in order to again get the uh, context of the Apostle Peter's words here, we will begin reading uh, at verse 4. So this is the word of the Lord. As you come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Lord, we know that there are many in our world who do not have this Bible, who do not have this revelation before them. They have the creation around them testifying to who you are, but they do not have the Scripture. And yet, Lord, this Scripture has come to us in its fullness And we have the fullness of revelation in your word and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so help us, Lord, today as we have this privilege to look into this word today. Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and you would apply it to our hearts. Whoever we are, whatever reason we've come this morning, wherever we are in our life, in joy or sorrow, Lord, that you would speak to us for your glory and our good. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may remember that 
uh, here in this uh, letter of Peter. Uh, our context here is Peter writing to a suffering church. Uh, he's writing to a, uh, a persecuted church, people who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. He's writing this letter to a congregation of believers who are facing the uh, hostile thoughts, the hostile looks perhaps, the hostile words, and the hostile actions of the world around them, a world without Christ, uh, a world that rejects Christ. And uh, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Peter does not look at this situation and say to the church in this letter, uh, you best back off a little bit. You know, you're in this difficult situation. Maybe it's a good time for you to retreat as a church. Uh, In this kind of cultural context, Peter doesn't say, uh, you know, perhaps the best thing to do would be to build a monastery in the Sierra Nevada. Wouldn't that be great? You know, we all go to the Sierras, never been up there, and uh, just go live up there for a while. It's not a call for Christians to retreat, to heal from their wounds, or build up their strength even, or to shut out all the noise and trouble around us. We don't hear that from Peter. He doesn't call for a retreat, uh, but he calls for the church to stand firm. And he doesn't even simply call for the church to hold their ground, but in this passage, he, uh, uh, he calls for the church to have a positive impact on the world around them, in spite of the persecution and in the face of the persecution. Now, how can we do that? Well, we've seen that Peter reminds the church of their identity, of who we are in Christ, of what we've been born to. Remember that? New life, new hope, new assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have received grace as a believer, grace and salvation. That grace has come to you. Uh, Prophets and angels uh, long to know more. Angels would love to be in your shoes to know what grace and salvation is all about. You're a privileged people. The Bible says, you are a blessed people. Grace has come to you, the fullness of grace. And because you've received grace, Peter has told us, you've also heard the call to walk in the ways of the Lord, to be ready, to gather up, gird up your loins, uh, ready to run, ready to serve. You've been redeemed from your former way of life and set free to live for Christ. You've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. And the imperishable seed uh, of the Word of God dwells within you, and you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and so you continue to crave His Word uh, like a newborn infant craves his mother's milk. And you know that that Word points you to come to Christ. And so you come to Christ by faith. You came to Christ by faith. You're coming to Christ by faith, and you will continue to come to Christ by faith. He's the living stone. And you're never going to get tired of coming to him. And, and you yourselves, the Bible says, are living stones uh, that are being placed in the great spiritual house that God is building. He's the master mason. He's chosen you out of the rock pile. He's chiseled you. He's shaped you. He's placed you among God's people. You were once without God and without hope in the world, without mercy under God's wrath. But now you've received mercy. You're his treasured possession. You're his chosen race. You're his royal uh, priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to the king so that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. That's how you do it, says Peter. That's how you stand as a Christian in today's world, uh, remembering who you are in Christ, your believer, your mercy receiver. You are proclaimer 
of the excellencies of Jesus Christ. But just how exactly are the excellencies of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed by you and I? Well, yes, it is preached and proclaimed with your mouth. But for the Apostle Peter, it is also proclaimed with your and my life. That's how this world will know how excellent Jesus is. So the Apostle again this morning speaks to us three things, your identity, your lifestyle, and your witness as a Christian. What's the present identity of a Christian believer? Well, here we're reminded, uh, the Apostle Peter reminds us, that the Christian believer is simply addressed in verse 11 this way, uh, beloved. He's talking to the church, and, um, and when the church receives this letter, they hear uh, these words from the Apostle Peter proclaiming these things. They are beloved. That is, they are loved ones. Now, the Apostle Peter loves them, um, but he knows that they are the beloved of God. Some translations say friends, uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't quite capture it. The Bible says we are the beloved of God. We are the recipients uh, of God's love. We belong to those whom God has chosen. Uh, we are people belonging to God. He's shown us his mercy. And whether you've grown up in the church and were taught to know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ from your youth, or whether you came to Christ later in life, we belong to those to whom God has shown mercy and love, whom he has made to be his beloved people. Now, that's quite striking because we usually, um, you know, I think we usually reserve that term. We don't use that term at all, really, I don't think, but uh, we usually reserve that term for marriage, right? You might speak of, uh, of your wife as your beloved wife, or you might speak of your husband as your uh, beloved husband. To be beloved uh, is to have love set upon you. Beloved is, um, uh, it's in a passive form, Right? That is, we didn't bring this love upon ourselves. We don't deserve it. It was given to us. We are the beloved. We are the ones who have been loved. This is what the Bible says. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God put his love upon us and demonstrated it in the sending of his Son. We are the beloved in Christ uh, we read from Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy, in the great love, remember, in the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Now, why should you be thinking that this is great love? Well, it's great love. It's great love that you'd be called beloved because sinners don't deserve the love of a holy God. Just imagine that, to be called the beloved of God when we ourselves were sinners against a holy God. You know, people can go their whole lives, I think, looking for, for love or to be loved uh, by another. I had that when I, was a, when I was a teenager. You know, my dad died when I was, uh, when I was 10, and uh, he was a disciplinarian father, which was good. It's good to discipline your sons, but he was kind of harsh. And... Uh, I don't remember uh, my father, I think I've told some of you this, don't remember my father ever 
Um, you know, ever, I don't remember him ever seeing him kiss my mother. You know, I asked my eight sisters, did dad ever, did you, surely you guys must have seen my dad kiss, you know, my mother. Sometime, no, no, they didn't. And so, um, and so he died when I was 10, and, uh, um, and so through all my teenage years, I, I, I look back, I think they were all really years of looking to be loved. And, uh, and often that would lead me astray uh, from the Lord. We're often looking to be loved by another. Well, this is what Peter says. He says, you are beloved. You are in Christ. Uh, you are beloved by God. Now, in the world, you're going to be hated. You might be slandered. You might be scoffed at. You might uh, be ridiculed. But remember this. This is who you are. You are the beloved of God. And God has set his love upon you in Christ. Now, this is so important. The Apostle Paul says, I need to pray about this. I need to pray that this church in Ephesus, for instance... Uh, has a better sense of what this means. And so this is what he prays. I pray that the Holy Spirit, by his power, would dwell in your inner being, Ephesians 3.17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen to this. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, he says, to comprehend. I wish the church, says Paul, could have some idea to comprehend with all the saints, understand it as the church. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that funny? Paul says, I want you to know what surpasses knowledge. doesn't make any sense. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge. Well, nonetheless, that's what Paul's praise. He prays for you as a believer that you would comprehend somehow the, the depth, the riches, the breadth, the height of the love of Christ, the love of God for you. You are the beloved of God. Well, and as beloved people who belong to God, the king of the heavenly homeland, we are to live, says Peter, as sojourners and exiles in the world. Beloved, that's who you are, I urge you as, this is also who you are, as sojourners and exiles. Uh, this is their identity in the world. Now, Peter has used this before. Verse 1, he had said this, to those, he writes this letter, to those who are elect exiles or pilgrims of the dispersion. Verse 17, he used the word again, and if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, remember, with fear of God, reverence for God, throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your sojourn uh, upon this earth. Now, a sojourner in the Bible is a person who lives in a foreign country uh, but keeps his citizenship. And they do not have all the rights and privileges and are not recognized to have all the rights and privileges of that country because their allegiance is elsewhere. Now, this past week, I was reminded that despite the many years our family has lived in the United States, uh, we are still citizens of another country. We are Canadians by birth. I know you haven't noticed that in my accent. But no doubt you heard the news this past week that on Thursday, uh, Queen Elizabeth II died at her estate 
in the Scottish Highlands. She was the UK's longest ruling monarch, reigning over 70 years, a professing Christian also. You see, I was born in Canada. And in Canada, the queen was head of state. Now, a Canadian citizen hears of her death differently than an American citizen. For a Canadian, uh, she was not just a queen. She, she, she was my queen. I'm reminded I'm yet a sojourner, an alien uh, in a foreign land. That's who you are, says Peter. If you belong to God, you are a foreigner. You, your citizenship is properly, ultimately, elsewhere. Your allegiance, your ultimate allegiance is elsewhere. That doesn't mean you don't have other allegiances, right? If you're married, you have an allegiance to your wife. If you, if you live in the United States, there's an allegiance here in, in, your, in your country. But it is not your ultimate allegiance. This morning as we left Calamesa, there was all sorts of flags out because of uh, being September 11th. And we remember what happened in our country uh, you know, so many years ago. And it's good to be thankful for your country. It's good to be thankful for, uh, for the freedoms that we have here, but this is not, this world of sin does not have our ultimate allegiance because we live in this world, a world which largely does not love our king, does not serve God and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's many who live for themselves and the satisfaction of their own desires, and in that world of sin, we live, says Peter, whether it's the first century or the 21st century, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in the United States of America, we live as foreigners, as strangers, as aliens, like immigrants that come from a faraway country and culture. We live here, but our citizenship is elsewhere. We seek the good of this country, the Bible says, to be sure, but it is not our homeland. Do you feel that? Is this your home? Well, from the Daily Citizen this past week about your home here in California. They write this, the California legislature passed Senate Bill 107, allowing courts to take away parents' rights if their child comes to the state for gender-affirming health care. Hmm, what's that? The bill goes to the governor's desk where it must be signed or vetoed by September 30. SB 107 allows adults to bring children and teens from other states to California for experimental and transgender medical interventions uh, without the knowledge or consent of their parents. Courts could then take temporary emergency jurisdiction of these minors with sexual identity confusion and authorize permanent and bodily disfiguring puberty blockers, hormone suppressants, opposite sex hormones, and surgeries for these children, even when their parents oppose it. Is this your home? Or do you understand that you are a foreigner in this world of sin and that your allegiance is elsewhere? As Peter says, as those who belong to God, strangers and pilgrims, we have different priorities, different goals and ideals than the world. In everything we seek, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, our citizenship is in heaven. And you see, that determines in every way how we think about who we are 
and how we live and being an alien and stranger in our contemporary culture has nothing to do with whether you're European or Asian or Mexican or Canadian. It's got nothing to do with whether you speak with an accent or not or have lighter skin or darker skin. It has everything to do with belonging to God and His kingdom and not belonging to the world of men. That's who you are, says Peter. Is that how you identify yourself? So, Peter, we're unique. But he also speaks about the, the lifestyle of the beloved of God. There's such a thing as living uh, the Christian lifestyle, living the pilgrim lifestyle, living as aliens and strangers in the world. It has two aspects, says Peter. Saying no to something and, uh, and saying yes to something. It has to do with abstaining from something, keeping away from something, turning away from something, and uh, moving towards something else and embracing something else. He puts it this way. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, you know that's who you are, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There it is. Abstain from the passions of the flesh and uh, instead keep your conduct or your living honorable or good, as it could be translated, among the Gentiles. Now, Peter wouldn't warn the Christians in this uh, letter about this, of course, unless it was an actual problem. Now, notice he doesn't say, get out of the world, but he says, focus on your passions. Focus on what you, on what you love. Focus on what drives you from Monday to Sunday? The passions of the flesh. That is, the word flesh in the New Testament, often you simply refer to the sinful nature. Get an understanding of what's going on within you because Peter knows that's where the sin action is all, all about. That's where the action is for sin. James talks about that in James 1, 14 to 15, you know, that all my sin... And all your sin, where does that come from? Well, it's not other people. They don't make me sin. Anytime I sin or anytime I displease the Lord, where does that come from? Well, it comes from those desires or passions within. And so Peter says, uh, I urge you to, to focus there and to abstain from those passions that wage war against your soul. Ah. Now, to abstain from something, that's not popular today. How many people in our culture like the word abstinence? That's where that word abstain comes from. Abstinence. It used to be that people would go to public schools, I believe, and encourage children towards abstinence. It's not good uh, for you as, as a teenager or adults or anybody to engage in, 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 you know, in sexual activity outside of marriage. Abstain from those passions. Save yourself for, for marriage. You know, as God intended. Abstain. Turn away from those passions of the flesh. But today, boy, if it, whatever whim you have, uh, our culture says, express it. But not those who belong to God. I remember 
the uproar. Remember this? I don't know how many years ago this was. I'm getting older, but remember the kerfuffle that happened at the uh, halftime of the Super Bowl when Janet Jackson was singing? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, her outfit, you remember, was a little more revealing than she had planned. But do you remember that, you know, the stories and the articles it generated went on for days, weeks, even months? Looking back to the, what happened as she exposed herself on national television. You know, the, our world revels uh, in the sensual. Billboard ads on the interstate appeal to the passions of the flesh on our computer. You know, the red light district in Amsterdam uh, is nothing compared uh, with what is one click away on your child's phone. Would you take your children to the red light district in Amsterdam? Why would you bring it to them at home? That's a good question for parents to ask. This has always been with us, of course. Think of the pagan excesses of Rome, you know, and Nero. Although today we might face a unique challenge, that along with the growing prevalence and open display of sinful desires and passions, we've lost all sense of shame. And also, whereas the influence of Christianity used to act as a restraint on our culture, you know, that's more and more rejected, and shame and modesty is suppressed to the great destruction of society. Now, Peter warns us that he urges us, as those who belong to God, to abstain from those passions of the flesh, no matter how, how common they might be in our culture. All those appeals to our sinful nature that are normal uh, outside of Christ, encouraged outside of Christ, they are not normal uh, or to be encouraged among those who belong to God, who have known the love of God expressed to them in Jesus and who are his people. Abstain from those passions of the flesh, which, he says, wage war against your soul. Now, Augustine knew this. If you have read his confessions... It was always strange to me reading Augustine's Confessions uh, uh, when I read about the passage that, that the Lord used to convert him. You ever read the passage that the Lord used to convert him from a life of paganism to Christianity? It was this passage from Romans 13, 13 and 14. It goes like this. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the passage that God used in his... Why? Because he was consumed, he tells in his own words, with passions of the flesh. And the Bible says, well, the only way to deal with that is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't make provision for, for those. The Lord used that to... Bring him to, but notice what, what Peter says here. Those passions of the flesh wage war on your soul. Did you know that? That our sinful nature um, wants to destroy and, uh, and really kill us. That's what the sinful nature is after. Not just that the body is affected, but your very soul is the target. Life-threatening, soul-threatening. I think our problem sometimes is Professing Christians is that we're like the uh, Western European or the uh, yeah the European powers in in August of 1939 in the West, thinking Hitler, he's troublesome to be sure, but we can live we can live with him. 
We can be at peace with him with just a few compromises, nothing, nothing serious. When all the while his plan was uh, to take over uh, really the whole world. And we thought, well, if we just, you know, he, does, he doesn't really, he's not really going to overrun Poland and Czechoslovakia and Holland. And we can just make peace. All our friends, the Bible says, there's that sinful nature within us. Uh, wants to kill us. And it wages war. The word for war there is the word we get uh, strategy. That is tactics, scheming, cunning. That's what sin and Satan is all about within us. Uh, He will use anything to get at your soul, your phone, your computer, your work, your pleasures, other people, anything that helps his cause. And here's the thing, Peter says, as the beloved of God, uh, you must turn a deaf ear. And instead... Instead, keep your conduct, says Peter. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Now, remember, he has just referred to Christians here uh, as the holy nation. So it is the church of God that is the true Israel. They are the holy nation. They are the royal priesthood. Everyone who is in Christ, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. You are the Israel of God. So when he says among the Gentiles, he's talking about among any unbelievers. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Keep your conduct honorable. It could be translated, or live, you might have it this way, or live such good lives among the Gentiles. So not not in the passions of the flesh, it's warring against your soul, you belong to God. You're in Christ by the Holy Spirit. He's, he's waging war against that flesh. You abstain from those passions in the flesh. Instead, your focus, your passion, your desires uh, are all about keeping uh, your conduct honorable. Your, your passion is all about living such a good life that is a life that is such, so pleasing to God uh, among the Gentiles. That's my goal. That's my purpose. Uh, that's, my, that's, my, that's my vision. Notice here, the P- Apostle Peter says, being a Christian a living stone in the spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifice to God, being born again, being beloved of God. Oh, this is so important. It's not simply uh, about what you profess to believe. What you profess with your mouth. Uh Uh-uh. If you belong to God, the Bible says this is, yeah, it's all about what you confess with your mouth, but it's also about how you live That's your identity. You belong to God, and therefore you are concerned to live such good lives among the Gentiles that you will put their slanders, says Peter, to shame. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, uh, God wants your heart. You ever hear that? Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. But it's not the whole truth. Because God in the Bible wants your life. You might say, yeah, God, I'll give you my heart. But will you give him your phone? Oh, yes, God, I'll give you my heart. But will you give God your Saturday? Oh, yes, um, I'll give God my heart. 
But uh, will you give him your speech? Will you give him your thought life? Will you give him how you drive on the, fr- on the interstate? Will you give him your marriage? Will you give him your children? Will you give him your work? Your conduct here means simply your living in every respect. Keep your conduct. Some uh, translation might say keep your conversation, conversing. That simply means all your interactions with anybody in any situation. It's your living. Keep your living among the Gentiles. Honorable could begin translated simply good. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it, says Paul, to the glory of God. Keep your living among the Gentiles good or honorable, that is, pleasing to God in accordance with His Word, in accordance with His way. Walk in His ways. Walk by the Spirit. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Be so committed, says Peter, to living good, that is, God-honoring, obedience to God's Word, kind of lives. May your passions be directed this way, to walk in the Spirit. And notice, he's saying not to earn his grace or favor, but out of thankfulness and gratitude for all he has done and is doing. After all, you are the beloved. You have received the love of God in Jesus Christ. And you remember that that sin is no trifle with God, but that sin means that God sent his son to die on the cross for sinners. And that sin would be punished and paid for. And so as John Owen said, you know, when he was thinking about sanctification and, and why he should try to live a good life or a, a life that honors God, he, would, he said he would say to himself, I need, I need to tell myself all the time, Christ died for this sin. How can I live for it? Right? Next time you're tempted to sin, next time I'm tempted to sin, think to yourself this, what I'm about to do. The Bible says Jesus had to die for. Mm. I don't think of that enough. Because then I wouldn't do it by God's grace. You see. Keep that in mind, says Peter. Keep your, among those Gentiles. You are his beloved. Imagine, for instance, being married. You're the beloved of somebody, but your work assignment means that you are going to be stationed temporarily. Think about this. Stationed temporary uh, as, a, as a lifeguard, let's say, at Daytona Beach during uh, spring break. And you're newly married. Daytona Beach, spring break. I don't know if you've ever heard of such things. So what do you do? Well, you live there as the beloved. You wear your ring. Uh, you don't look at certain things. Mm-mm. You cover your eyes. You call home often. You call your wife. Call your husband. You speak to the one you belong to, especially when you're being pressured in the world. Oh, wait a minute. That's prayer, isn't it? We remember who we belong to, and we look to him for help. Now, here's the thing. None of this is even the most amazing thing about this passage. You know your identity. You belong to God. Uh, you know the lifestyle culture. Abstain for one, a, a passion for doing God's will. But notice what the Apostle Peter says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak, 
against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and, he says, glorify God on the day of visitation. The fact is that if you belong to God, if you know Christ, and if you've come to Christ, and you are seeking to abstain from evil by the work of the Holy Spirit against your flesh, and you are seeking to walk in His ways and live according to His words and obedience uh, to His commandments, the Apostle Peter says, know this, you will be criticized. You will be spoken against. The word is you will be accused. You will be uh, slandered. You will, says Peter, be accused, even as you're following Christ, of being an evil doer. What? Yes. Even as Jesus. Remember? Jesus was curing people. He was making them whole. And people came along and said, you must be a servant of the evil one. This must be how you're doing these things. No believers will be accused. You'll be said to be narrow-minded. You'll be accused of breaking up the family or the circle of friends. Those who come to Christ from the Muslim faith uh, know this full well. They are kicked out of the family. They are an evildoer. They are an infidel. Think of the first century Christians in, uh, in Rome who belonged to Christ. They were accused, did you know, of cannibalism? Because they would speak of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Christ at the Lord's Supper. You're cannibals. Uh, They were accused of being uh, atheists. What? They believed in God. They believed in in, in the Trinity. Well, you don't believe in our gods. They were accused of incest. What's all this about your all brothers and sisters? You know, how does that happen? Nero blamed Christians for the burning of Rome. Today, if you want to help someone overcome sinful, homosexual desires, are you applauded? No. You are accused and slandered. And you say, you just want to ruin this person's life. Just let them be. You see. Um, Just read any prayer calendar from Open Doors International that monitors the persecuted church. Just in one week, you'll read prayer notes like this. In Sri Lanka, Santi was thrown out by her family because of her faith, even though she was critically ill. Kareem was denied the right to bury his brother or attend his mother's funeral in Kyrgyzstan because he's a believer. He's been driven from his village. Akeem and his sisters had to flee their Kyrgyzstan home because their father physically attacked them for following Jesus. Amal had to flee Syria for her life, and her non-believing husband has refused to let her daughters go to church or contact their mother. A new believer in Iraq was found murdered by her family members because she came to Christ. Well, yes, Peter says, this will, this will happen. They will accuse you and speak against you as evil doers. But this is what you do. You keep on, he says, by God's grace, doing good. You keep on living to the glory of God. 
Uh, you keep on keeping your living and your conduct among the Gentiles, even as they're accusing you. You keep it honorable. You keep it serving the Lord. And the Bible says as you do that, living as the beloved of God, aliens and strangers, sojourners, exiles, abstaining from sinful desires, passions of the flesh, doing good works, all of that, says Peter, has a powerful evangelistic influence on the world around you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you know that everybody around you is watching you as a Christian? That's what the Bible says. They're watching. They're watching. They're observing uh, all that you say and especially all that you do. Why are they watching you? Why are they observing you? Why are they watching? Why are they observing me as a Christian? Because they want to know from you, is it all words or do you really believe? Is it just that you say Jesus is Lord and Savior or King and King? Or do you actually live as Jesus is Lord and Savior and King? They want to know, uh, is this faith in Jesus Christ real? Friends, the Bible is saying here it's not talk that will convince your neighbors to come to Jesus. But it may be your life. We may speak of a great king and savior and Lord to our neighbor, but if we do not obey him, the world will see. And if they slander us and we slander them back, ah, he's not the king. And this is not just true of Gentiles, mind you, it's true of your children. They need to see mom and dad live for Christ, not simply talk of Christ. Think about it. I mean, who would you rather fly in an airplane with? Someone who has written a hundred books about how to fly a plane, but never flown a plane? Or someone who's actually flown a plane a hundred times? Well, I, uh, I think we can assume what the answer is there. I'd rather fly with someone who's flown and not just spoken of flying. Well, this is a wonderful thing. The Bible says that as we live this way, you see, unbelievers will see that, and the Bible says glorify God on the day of visitation. In the Bible, the day of visitation sometimes refers to the day of judgment. But the day of visitation also in the Bible uh, can refer to the day of God's grace. Like when Zechariah hears of the coming of Jesus being born as the Savior, and he is so thankful to the Lord. He says, Lord, you have visited us and come in your grace. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism. It puts it this way. Since we've been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? This is why. Because Christ having redeemed us by His blood, is also renewing us by His Spirit into His image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for His benefits, and that He may be praised through us 
and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. How do you live in a hostile world? Well, Peter says, you remember who you belong to. You are the beloved of God. Your ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. And so you're a foreigner here. You're called to uh, abstain from those passions of the flesh. They're, they're at war against you. Do, you. do you wage war against them? And, and you are called then to, to, to pursue the Lord with all your heart, with all your passion, to live according to his ways as the beloved of God. Why? Well, the Bible says that those who slander you and those who slander the church will not receive slander in return, but they will only see something of the Lord Jesus Christ and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his kindness coming through the lives of those who belong to him. And when that happens, the Bible says God is pleased to use the lives of those kind of people so that even unbelievers, in the day when God visits them in his grace, compels them to glorify God because of what they have seen in you. And in me, this is God's plan for building his church that the world may know that we belong to him. We live for him, for his glory. May it be true of us that many would come to know him through us. And we pray it. We uh, need to pray together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are so gracious to us that you call us your beloved that we belong to you, Lord, that you have taken us out of the, the world of sin and death. You have transferred us into the kingdom of light, that we might be your own treasured possessions. Lord, we thank you that you've told us in the scripture and warned us and urged us, as Peter does here, that that, that sinful nature wages war against our soul. And Lord, so often we, uh, we, we, we don't consider, uh, Lord, the, the enemy about us that would seek to lead us away. And so, Lord, we pray that we would draw near to you today, that we again would keep coming to Christ, drawing near to him, walking in your ways, that no matter what the world might say of us as Christian believers, as the church today in the United States of America, Lord, that as they slander us, our response to them would simply be to keep on living for Jesus, that one day, by your grace, you might visit them and that they might have cause to glorify you because of what they've seen in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.